Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the coming salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was one, once delivered to the saints. Do you understand what Jude is saying? Number three, chapter 1, verse 3. Jude said, I got ready to sit down and write to you about salvation. Deeper understanding more about salvation. But the Holy Spirit was so strong causing me to write about the need for you to contend for the faith. What does that mean to contend? To fight for the faith. Stand up for the faith. Know what you have believed. Amen? So, Jude had one plan, but the Holy Spirit had another. And I don't, we don't find anywhere where Jude actually wrote about salvation. If he did, it has not been preserved. But we find that he wrote about contending, fighting, standing up for the faith. Are we ready to do that? We are here. We are here not to be considered holy in the sight of God. You are already holy. We are here to be equipped, to get equipped, to get built up. What is it we must be equipped for? The that we so despised. People, as we sit here, people are going to help. Because there's only one way, and that is Jesus. And many have never heard. Many don't know. Some may have heard and did know, but didn't receive. But we have... If our ministry is a matter of life and death. And therefore we need to be equipped to do the ministry. Amen? Amen. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always. Be ready always to give an answer to every man. That's 1 Peter 3.15. To every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, we have to be ready to give an answer. So now, Romans 10, 9 and 10. There it says that what must we believe? We must believe that Jesus is Lord. What does that mean that Jesus is Lord? To be Lord, he has to be more than a prophet. Otherwise, every single prophet that has ever lived would be our Lord. That's not the case, right? So in other words, we must believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is God, is God. Amen? Amen? And this now, so, and then we must also believe that God raised him from the dead. But in order to be raised from the dead, you have to first die. And for example, Muslims, 
they say that Jesus never died, that he ascended. You know, it says that Noah walked with God and was no more. That means that God took Noah, I mean, uh, Enoch, 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 sorry, I meant to say Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was no more. That means that Enoch never saw death. Just yes. God simply took him. He ascended. Ascend means to go up, descend to go down, right? So he ascended. That's what the Muslims say about Jesus, that he ascended, but he wasn't resurrected. So there's a difference. Understand the difference between ascended and resurrected. To resurrect, you have to be, have been dead first. And so we must believe that Jesus died by crucifixion and that he was resurrected from the dead. Why is that important? Because he had to conquer death. If he just escaped death, that's not, that's not going to do it. He had to go and conquer death. Amen? And for that he went to hell, took the keys of hell and death from Satan himself. He conquered death. He didn't escape it. He conquered it. And that's the power of the gospel. Amen? And this now, for example, the Muslims, they will agree that Jesus was born of a virgin. They will agree that he did many miracles. They will agree that he was a prophet and a good man. But when it comes to the essential of the gospel, that he was God, that he died and was resurrected, those are the things that you are not allowed to believe. And those are the very core of the gospel. And this is what we find in Romans 10, 9, and 10. These are the things that we must confess. These are the things that we must believe in our heart. Amen? Now, you know that we have four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we know that the first three of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptic. How do you say that? Synoptic. That means they're similar in the way they relate the life and ministry of Jesus. But the Gospel of John is different. The Gospel of John very clearly brings out that Jesus was God, the divinity or the deity of Jesus, we can say, right? But now, that Gospel was written about 60 years approximately after Jesus died. And so, there's a very famous scholar, you know, a scholar is someone who studies more in depth, right? Called Bart Ehrman. And he said that the Gospel of John is a non-believer. He's not a believer. He said it's unreliable because it was written about 60 years after Jesus died. And that after Jesus died, they invented that he was deity, that he was God. That was never said and done while he was alive. He says, he says, he says, why also, if he was really God, why must we wait till the last gospel to hear that he was God? But this now shows that he did not understand. He had not studied properly. Amen? So I would like us, the first gospel that was ever written was the gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. And I have here, let me just get my 
So the gospel of the common consensus among scholars, among those who have studied more deeply, is that it was written between 66 to 74 AD. That means that it was only 33 to 41 years after Jesus' death that the gospel of John was written. Mark. Uh, the gospel of Mark. Now, this uh, scholar, actually I'm mentioning this scholar Bart Ehrman because he posts a lot on Muslim sites, Islamic uh, websites, and he, many Muslims quote him and follow him and regularly study what he, he says. But now let's see, he said, why must you wait till the book of John? Let's see whether that be so. I hope you brought your Bibles. We have a Bible. Alright, so I would like us to, first of all, I would like to open up by saying that if we are observant when we read, we will see that in the very beginning of the book of Mark, Mark has both heaven, earth, and hell proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Okay, I'll show you. So in Mark 1.1, Mark 1.1. Just open my Bible. It says, In the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. Here man, here man, Luke, is proclaiming Jesus, the Son of God. Amar. Thank you. Mark is right straight, first, first sentence in the gospel. Mm. Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. That is man proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Then we go to um, Mark 1, 11. Mark chapter 1, verse 11. And it says, And there came a voice from heaven, saying, you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Here God himself is calling Jesus his beloved son, his only begotten son. Amen? Amen. And then in three, Mark chapter 3, verse 11, Mark chapter 3, verse 11, it says... And the unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, You are the Son of God. Mm. So there you even have hell proclaiming that he is the Son of God. Amen? So, okay, Mark 1.4. So the Gospel of Mark starts with a reference to Isaiah chapter 40 verses 3 through 5. And I'll first read you Mark 1, 4, but then we are going to go to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. So what I've done in my Bible, by verse 4, I have written that cross-reference, Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. But so in verse 4, it says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptist baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, 
In Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, it says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain shall be brought low. The crooked places shall be straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the loud mouth of the Lord has spoken it. That was the, uh, the prophecy in Isaiah 3 through 5. And here we see that the messenger, Luke, Mark, Mark is now telling us, Mark is telling us that John the Baptist is that messenger who is preparing the way uh, for the Lord. And in the Old Testament, now I'm referring to the King James Version, when the word Lord refers to Yahweh, or God, right? When, then it is written capitalized. And here in this prophecy of Isaiah, it is referring to God. The word Lord is referring to God. And here, Mark is telling us that John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. In other words, Isaiah said it is God himself that is going to come. And Mark is telling us here that Jesus is God in the flesh coming. And John the Baptist is the messenger that was sent to prepare the way for God himself. Amen? Amen. Any questions? All right. And also, actually, this reference from Isaiah is also combined with Malachi 3.1. And in Malachi 3.1, it says, Behold, I sent my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you, belight, you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. So this text says explicitly that the messenger, John the Baptist, will appear before the Lord himself comes to his temple. John the Baptist came right before Jesus came. Amen. Yes. So this all confirms that Jesus was in fact God. We know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Right? Okay, now we are going to go to Mark 2, 7. Mark 2, 7. We are proving out, we are proving from the book of Mark, the deity or the, of Jesus, the fact that he was God. We are proving that from the earliest gospel. It was not something that was invented while this was very fresh, while everyone still knew about Jesus and all that. So 2.7, Mark 2.7 says, Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Remember he had healed the paralytic, the lame man that had been lit. Okay, read five. Okay. All right, I'll read five. But when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins be forgiven you. 
But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? So for the Jews to blaspheme against God. Yes, because they did not recognize Jesus as God. And for them, when the Jews accused someone of blasphemy, that meant that they, that someone was not giving God his due respect. Most, and you know, they were not allowed to utter the name Yahweh, Jehovah. So either you, you had said the name, and so you were blaspheming, or by claiming divine status for oneself, claiming to be God when you were not. That was blasphemy. To be God. Divine status. But Jesus never insulted God. He did not insult God. And he didn't utter that divine name. He didn't say Yahweh, that they were not supposed to say. So their charge of blasphemy could only mean that Jesus thought himself to be God by claiming the divine prerogative of forgiving sins. That's the only thing they could accuse him of. He said what, he, what is easier, to say your, your, your sins be forgiven or take off your bed and walk, right? Therefore he said your sins are forgiven. And that was to forgive sins was something only God can do. So there he is proclaiming himself to be God, right? But he showed that he had the authority to forgive sins by healing the paralytic. The paralytic was healed, and he did not use someone else's name. He healed that man by his own personal authority. Therefore, he showed that he's God. Amen? Psalm 103, verse 2 and 3. Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Who is it that forgives all iniquities and heals all diseases? The Lord our God. Amen? And, okay. Mark 2.28. We're now going to look at Mark 2.28. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So Jesus called himself Lord of the Sabbath. The, fourth, the Sabbath was the fourth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 8, gives us the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. When Jesus refers to himself as Lord of the Sabbath, he is claiming lordship over the Ten Commandments. Even though there is only one such Lord, Yahweh, of God himself. So he is claiming to be God. By saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying he is Lord of the Ten Commandments. He is saying, I am God. 
Although he's not coming outright, he doesn't outright say, I am God. Mark 4, 35 through 41. Mark 4, 35 to 41. And the same day, when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder parts of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Praise the Lord. And he, amen. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? Amen. Mark, so now that was a question, right? Mark expects us to answer those questions by turning to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. And we have here 25 through 30, but especially verses 28 and 29. And I, so you could write down 25 through 30 and maybe read it all on your own later. But right now, okay. we will read verses 28 and 29. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Who is he that calms the storm? Jesus. God. Amen. Right? Here it refers to God and Jesus did what only God could do. Amen. 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 So Mark 6, 45 to 52. In Mark there, in Mark 6, 45 to 52. What Job shows in Job 9, 8, that only God can do. Mark is showing Jesus doing that. So let's now read Mark 5, no, sorry, 6, 45 to 52. But first I will read you, I'll just quickly read you Job 9, 8, so that you can see what we are looking for. Job 9, 8 says, He alone spreads out the heaven and threats on the waves of the sea. In other words, only God walks on the sea, yes. walks on the water. Have you ever tried it? How successful were you? Right? <laughs> so it says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Maybe I just cut it down and I'll read verse 48. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. 
Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Job said, only God, you alone walk on the sea. Here Mark shows Jesus doing what God alone does, walking on the sea. So who said that Mark is not bringing out the divinity of Jesus? That's somebody who didn't really study. Because it's brought out time and again. Now we are going to go to 2 Kings 4, verses 42 to 44. 2 Kings 4, 42 to 44. I will read it here. Then a man came, and it's about Elisha. Yes. Then a man came from Baal Shalisha. That's the name of the place he came from and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley bread, and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, Give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, What? Shall I set this before one hundred men? He said again, Give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat, and have some left over. So they set it before them, and they ate, and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. And again here, the Lord, in the Old Testament, is Yahweh, which is God himself. Amen? Now, in Mark 8, I will not read the whole section, but in Mark 8, 1 through 13, and in fact, There are two separate accounts in the Gospels of Jesus. One minute. There are two separate accounts in the Gospels of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fish. All right? And (coughs) but you I think you've all heard that. I think we are all familiar with that. Is that correct? Okay. But it says, so in Mark 8, verse 1 through 13, you have one of these accounts. It is again now Mark showing Jesus doing what only God can do. Because if you noticed in <coughs> 2 Kings 4, Elijah is said, For thus says the Lord. Elijah received a direct revelation from God what to do. And because he obeyed, God did the miracle, right? Yes. But it was not Elijah multiplying the bread. It was God doing it as a result of his obedience to believe. Amen? Here now we have, it says, when he had preached to 5,000 and... He said, if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? 
He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. That's crumbs for 5,000 people. Amen? Yes. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, <coughs> broke them, and gave them to his disciples to sit before them. And they sat before them. And they set them before the multitudes. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Okay, sorry, I said 5,000, but here it says, and those who had eaten were about 4,000. But who here would like to feed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread? But you see now, in both situations, the servants obeyed. Yeah. When they lean to their own understanding, they try to measure, how can I, in my ability, do this? But whenever we are met with a problem in life, we should never compare it or measure it to our ability. We should measure it to God's ability. Yes. And so what happened? They had again left over. But Elisha heard from the Lord. It wasn't his own idea. Mm. He, he says, thus says the Lord. The Lord just told me, do this. And they went and did it. Like when Jesus multiplied the wine, yes. the mother said, whatever he says, do it. And so they went and obeyed, right? But this is a key. If we can learn this in our personal lives, if we can develop a sensitivity to the voice of God, and when, when he tells us to do, I want to say, it makes no sense. If I come here with one cracker to set before you to feed all of you, I mean, I wish that you're going to laugh at me. Are you crazy how we can all be full with one cracker, right? But if God says, and I obey, it'll be enough. Yeah. Amen. Yes. But there is that link. It has to be, did God say? Has God said? Are you following God? Or are you leaning to your own understanding? Mm. And that's where we have to develop our walk with the Lord to where we can recognize and discern the voice of God in our hearts yeah. and do. Be doers, not just here. Mm. If they had just heard but leaned to their own understanding and rejected the idea, there would have been no miracle. Mm. Amen? Amen. Okay, but here again now, Mark is again showing Jesus doing what only God can do. Amen? Amen. Now we're going to jump to Mark 14, 55 through 64. Mark 14, 55 through 64. And this here, now Jesus had been brought before the high priest and the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was like the, there was two bodies of the Sanhedrins. One of them had 23 people, the other had 71. The, the ones with the, the big Sanhedrin, the great Sanhedrin, was like the supreme court. And the lesser Sanhedrin was like a lower court. All right? So that was their justice system, how they judged. 
So now Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin. So let's read Mark 55 through 64. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made with hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And Jesus never said made with hands. He said this, this temple referring to his body. Amen. Those who brought Jesus to this trial had been seeking to destroy him since early in his ministry. Now Mark 3, 6 says, Then the Pharisees, this is an example of how they had sought to destroy him. Then the Pharisees, that was early, it's in Mark 3, early on, right? Went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So there we have an example of how early in the ministry they sought to destroy him. Now we are back to Mark 14, verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Do you answer nothing? Because they accused him of all this and he didn't say anything. What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. And the high priest asked him, saying, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? It appears that the high priest hopes he can be, that Jesus can be incriminated through his identity claims and his words against the temple. When Jesus responds, now the only thing that Jesus responded to was to admit to his identity, confessing who he truly was. That's the only time, and you know this is now what was going to cost him his life. Amen? Jesus said, I am. I am. I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Here Jesus makes a twofold reference to the Old Testament, claiming the, claiming the privileges and position of Yahweh for himself. Now we're going to read Daniel 7. Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14. This is one of those Old Testament references that Jesus is referring to. Is this your phone? Yeah. I think, is it your phone making the noises? It's 7 verses 13 and 14. Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14. And it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, okay, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him, the one like the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, 
that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. This is the one like the son of man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. A being who looks human, yet his entrance is on clouds, an entrance reserved for Yahweh or God alone. Look, Deuteronomy 33:26. Deuteronomy 33:26. It says, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun. Jeshurun means beloved, like the beloved people of Israel, like the beloved. Who rides the heavens to help you and in his excellency on the clouds. So there's none but God who rides on the clouds. Psalm 104, 1 through 3. Psalm 104, 1 through 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Who cover yourself with light as with a garment. Who stretch out the heavens like a cur curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chamber in the waters. Who makes the clouds his chariot? Who walks on the wings of the wind? He makes the clouds his chariots. Amen? Amen. And Isaiah 19, verse 1. Isaiah 19, verse 1. It says, The burden against Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. Who rides on a swift, swift cloud? The Lord, only God, right? And now here Jesus is referring to himself mm. as the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He's saying, I am God, and you will see. And everyone will one day worship me. He's saying that this, this, this is now the utmost blasphemy in their eyes. Yeah. In ears, sorry. The one like the Son of Man is given everlasting dominion, glory, and the kingdom, even though only God is supposed to have dominion and glory in the everlasting kingdom. Finally, this passage, Daniel 7, 13 to 14, says that all men will serve this Son of Man. But this word serve, whether you take the Aramaic or the Greek, it denotes a service due to God alone. It means to minister or to worship. So Jesus is basically saying all peoples, all languages, all nations will one day worship me. He's saying, I am God. I am God himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, 
The son of man in Daniel 7 is a divine son of man. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, starting at Mark 2.10, Jesus calls himself the son of man, though he never explicitly explains what he means by the term. He never, see, Jesus never explicitly stands up publicly and says, I am God.
and that's what cost him his life. Amen? But he, no, no man took his life from him. He said, no man takes my life from you. I lay it down. He came, Jesus came to lay down his life for us. Amen? Well, yeah, it was 63 and 64. We just read the end of the, when they um, condemned him to death. What time is it now? Am I saying wrong? I mean, did I say Luke? Yeah. Okay, sorry, did you type my paper? Okay, well, that's what I wrote. But it was where we were in Mark, in Mark right? Were we in Mark? Let me just see. Sorry, guys. It was... Uh, it's Mark 14. Mark 14. I was, I wrote, I said Luke, but it was Mark 14. And the verse? 63 and 64. Okay, got it. Alright. Now, we still have a little time. Now, I just want to see how much I can cover. But now, some people say that there are verses, Muslims say, that there are verses that deny that Jesus was God. So let's see what they said. For example, uh, John, they said that John 17.3, it says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Here they say that this verse says that there is only one God and that Jesus was just a messenger. Now, John 14, 28 says, You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I am. That was John 14, 28. Here Jesus is saying that the Father is greater than he is. Right? So, and in Mark 10, 18, Mark 10, 18, Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. Here Jesus again is distinguishing himself from God and clarifying that he is inferior. And when he said, My father is greater than I, the question posed is, How could Jesus be God if the father is greater than I? This shows that Jesus is both separate from and inferior to him. That's what they say. But maybe I should just pause so I can make sure I cover it. Now, for example, I am, I'm not much of anything, but right now we say I'm a teacher, right? Yes. But now the president of South Africa, he yes. rules all of South Africa. He yes. is greater than I. But I am a human being, and the president is a human being. So in our essence, we are the same, human 
beings. There's no difference. But when it comes to position or the role, the president is greater than I. Yet I am just as human as the president. Amen? So that is how Jesus could say the Father is greater, greater in position, but in essence, they are both one. They are God. So, so in, in Mark 1.35 says, in Mark 1.35 shows that Jesus went to a solitary place and prayed. In Matthew 4.10, it again shows that he's praying. So, just to make it, I think I have to run to the end. Do I have time actually to cover? Sorry? Sorry? Okay, just let me just... You have time. Yeah, yeah, I have time. I just need to sort out my papers. But anyway, they also say that Jesus could not, was only human, not God, because he ate, he wept, he slept, he hungered, he thirsted, he grew tired. And I can give references for all of this. It's true of Jesus. So could God really hunger, thirst, grow tired? Of course, God cannot. And therefore, Jesus is not God, which is the argument that is put forth. And he called himself a prophet, not God. God could not just be a prophet. And that is now in Luke 4.24. So the matter is settled when we consider his preferred term for himself, son of man. By using this title, Jesus emphasized that he was just a human, not God. But now all of these verses... All of these verses that some used to argue that Jesus was only human, not God. All of these verses are taken in isolation. That means you're not considering the context of all of the surrounding text around it. It's just taken out like that, taken out of context, right? So, so if you take the word out of context, it can be a challenge, but that's the problem. The verses are not supposed to be taken out of context. In the Quran, there are many verses. They're not like in the Bible. It has to be in context because it's supporting each other and painting the full picture. But in the Quran, verses were given sporadically. So there, they often just take one. But we cannot do that. Verses in the Bible depend on their context for proper interpretation. For example, I could quote you Psalm 14, 1. Psalm 14.1 says there is no God. It's written. Psalm 14.1 says there is no God. But if I read the context, it says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. But I can take that section out and twist it. And I can prove to you the Bible says there is no God. That's crazy. That's completely out of context. That's why we need to read in context. We can't just pull one scripture out. Yes. Oh, if you do that, then there is no God, the Bible says. That's crazy. 
Amen. That's proving the exact opposite of what the Bible proves. The Bible proves that God is. Amen. And has always been. Amen. So, because how, for example, they use these two verses, John 14, 28, that Jesus could not be God because he said the Father is greater than I am. So they can't be, be one if the one is greater and the other is lesser. They say so he's not God. And then they use John 5.19. John 5.19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the son does in like manner. So he can do nothing of himself. God can do everything of himself. Jesus can do nothing of himself. How could they be one? What do you think? How do you think it could be so? So, but now the, the Gospel of John especially brings out the fact that Jesus is God. So how could verses in the same Gospel deny that he is God. That's because they're not taken in context. They're taken out of context, taken in isolation. And you, people lean to their own understanding in order to interpret, instead of reading the whole and letting the text explain the text. Amen? Amen. So the only way to account for them is by understanding that Jesus is God and the Father is God, the President is human, and I am human. Yet, there is, but, but the two are not the same person. Yet there is only one God. There is only one human race. Right? But we are not the same persons. But remember, we are made in the image of God. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says that we are a three-part being. I have a spirit, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. But my body is not separate from me. It's part of me. My spirit is not outside of me. It's in me. My soul is me. My soul shows my character, my personality, my intelligence. My body shows the vehicle that I have been given for getting around in this world. And my spirit is the life source of God that is in me. But I am, I, so, but I am one. I'm not three persons. I am the same. Whether you speak about my body, my soul, or my spirit, we are all one manifested in me, the person that I am. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, manifested in different persons. And God is greater than us. We are made in his likeness, but we are not God, right? Okay, let me just finish this here. I want to just carry this over. So they, there is what is called the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. That means the combination of divine and human natures in the single person of Christ. 
hypostatic union, the combination of divine and human natures in the single person of Christ. So Jesus hungered and thirsted, but that does not challenge his deity, because we know that uh, Jesus had a divine nature and a human nature, which means he really was a human. He really was all man. Amen? So he did really hunger and thirst mm -hmm. for the same reason that he could be a prophet because he was 100% human. Since God can come into the world according to the Judeo-Christian teachings, he can take a human nature and be both God and man. So all the scriptures that prove that Jesus was human, it's true. He was. He was, but he was also God. There is that combination of the divine and human natures in Jesus. And historical. However, they refer to it as the hypostatic union. The fact that these were combined, the human and divine nature were combined in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And Philippians, okay. Okay, so here, sorry, I should just take this. Surely to be God is to be unlimited, whereas to be human is to be limited. How can somebody be limited and unlimited at the same time? For example, God knows all things, and Jesus did not know all things. Mark 13, 32. But of that day and hour no man knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now we have the answer to that in Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So Jesus took on humanity, human nature. He limited himself voluntarily, becoming a real man, so that as a man, he could atone for the sins of man. Like if you commit a crime, you pay for the crime. It was humanity that committed the crime. Man, so God, for God to take our punishment, he had to become one of us. One with us, right? So that's what he did. Jesus praying is not what some people say, God praying to himself. Because the son is not the father. There are two persons here. Not two selves. It's not God praying to himself. The Father is greater than Jesus, right? So, this, so actually with this, we should be able to contend for the faith. We should be able to stand up and give an answer to them that ask of us. And we do not do that for the sake of argument. We don't want to argue. But we want to be wise. It says, he that winneth souls is wise. Mm. We know that unless we come to Jesus, 
there is no everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So if we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we do not want to see them go to hell because they don't know. And if you have been raised in a tradition and indoctrinated to think a certain way, you might not be able to go up to that person on the street and say, just repeat after me. You might need to be able to show that Jesus was indeed God. Amen? Amen. And now, for those of you who have pen and notebook and took some notes, we should be able to show that Mark brought out in his gospel the fact that Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, so now the, I just want to end with this there is what, we, what is called scholars refer to the messianic secret especially from the gospel of Mark what is that messianic secret they say the fact that Jesus did not come outright saying I am God he never publicly said I am God. He kept it secret. And they call that the messianic secret according to the Gospel of Mark. Now, why did he? Uh, Mark 1.45 says, however, he healed the man, right? And he told, see that you tell no one. And now we see in verse 45, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. Mm -hmm. He was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Mm -hmm. But it hindered Jesus' freedom of movement, mm -hmm. right? And Jesus did not want to be killed until it was the right time. Yeah. Mark 3, 6, we know that the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. And John 7.30 says, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid hands on him, because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus did not want to publicly proclaim his identity. This is known among scholars as the Messianic We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.